Today's episode of Winging It on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packed fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and L.A., and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us. And you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com backslash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise 250000 and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com backslash WCK. Hello and welcome into Winging It, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, Annie Finberg, joined by my co-host, number 15, Mr. Vince Carter. VC in the house. What's going on? And we are so, so, so excited because tonight we have multi-platinum Grammy award-winning rapper, actor, producer, so, so, so much more, but most importantly, our fellow podcaster, T.I. What's going on, guys? Yeah, what's up, Tip? How you doing, man? Man, I'm cooling, man. I can't complain. A pleasure to be here, man. Two days in a row, man. We're I know, right? Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, it's real barbershop talk. <laughs> you know what oh, I'm saying? Man, come on, man. You in there, bro. Yeah, man. So you guys, um, just to fill people in, if they didn't know, Vince, you went on Tips Podcast last night, and now yeah. we're having him on here tonight. So y'all are just the best of friends getting to know yeah. each other. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? We go just way back. You know for sure. Saying? Yeah, you know, a lot of history. Way back, man. Way back. Like bald head people headline, man. You man. know what I'm saying? <laughs> man, true story. <laughs> so before we get into things, since we're talking about the podcast, we'll dig right into yours. Just tell us more about your podcast and kind of you do so many things. You wear so many hats. So why did you decide to get into podcasting? Man, the opportunity was really introduced to me by Podcast One. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. They reached out to my management to have a meeting and I took the meeting with no intentions of doing a podcast. But, and in the meeting, you know, they just posed the question, hey, man, you know, I see you're very opinionated and real active on social media. Have you uh, have you taken any time, given any thought to having your own podcast? And, you know, initially, my first thought was, I don't want to do no podcast. Why would I do a podcast? <laughs> I said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as the, the conversation went on, I started thinking like, hmm, how could I do a podcast? What would it be like? How would I, you know, what would, what would we discuss? Who would I like to, who would I like to have conversations with? And the more I kind of molded it over in my head, the closer we came to expeditiously. And now here we are. What's your typical guest on your show? And what do you guys normally talk about? Like what made you really want to get into it? I know that you like to talk about what's going on in Atlanta and kind of world and politics. Culture figures that, that are relevant to the culture or the discussion of the culture, things that, that impact the culture. I just always imagine me trying to have conversations 
that could get the kind of answers that I would have needed 20 years ago before I became Mm -hmm. T.I. that could have helped me navigate my journey Mm -hmm. uh, better with less mistakes, you know, uh, yielding greater benefit. So I just try to, you know what I'm saying, have those conversations with people who I feel like are relevant to these discussions that we're having about business, uh, about uh, finances, technology, uh, about um, conspiracies, about marriage, about parenting, about just some like every, everything. We run the gambit of discussions because there's so much information that that our community needs and that I and that our generation needs. And uh, it's time for us to to kind of open the doors and include them in. And that's that's what I actually was going to ask you. Uh, do you feel like since you've done this, since, since you've started your podcast and have had some some pretty impressive figures? I saw briefly David Banner when you had him on there. You think it's opened the eyes, and and I know I think I know the answer to it. But do you feel like it's opened the eyes and opened the doors to not only? keeping people woke, but educating them on different situations and issues in the world. Because like I say, it's, it's a lot going on. And it, I think, you know, sometimes we feel like we put words in, in the mouths of some celebrities, but do you feel like your podcast has really opened the eyes and ears to a lot of people? That's our definite intention. That's what we hope to do. Uh, that's what, that's what we, we, we look to, to, to reach out to people. Even like you, Vince, I think you shared like yesterday we had conversations of, uh, uh, about so many things. Like, just imagine if it's a young cat, eighth grade playing AAU ball, and you know all of the game that you gave about. You know, what I'm saying the things you learned when you first came in the league, the things you mentor new players on now. What was important then that isn't important anymore? What you wasted time on, which you found out was, you know, what I'm saying not relevant to your success later. Like those kinds of things, it's important because when you think about it, other cultures and other races of people, they reach back and they tell people, if you're a lawyer and you're 55 years old, nearing retirement, you're going to reach back and tell the lawyers that are just now passing the bar and just now coming in the game. They're going to be able to feed from a pool of information, experience, and understanding that will help guide their path so they can have a better shot at being a better lawyer than, you know, the 55-year-old. And we have to do the same thing. So we have many different ways of doing it, and expeditiously, it's just one of them. That's what I love about podcasts. I mean, there's so many out there. There's so many people doing it and having different avenues or giving and and sharing and opening up different avenues, but making people aware of just so many different things. And I think you've done that. I've listened to some of of your podcasts prior to, and you know, I know what we do and what we try to bring awareness to, or just open people's eyes to, like you said, educate. That's the, I think that's the common denominator of all of this is to educate uh, the young people listening. So, um, you know, kudos and salute to you on that one. Man, it's a pleasure to be here, man. It's a pleasure to be here and be relevant enough to to be in a position to educate. It's a pleasure to still have the ears of the youth for for, for them to even take words of advice into consideration for me. But I feel like, you know, I've been put in a position. People have, you know, supported me throughout my career. 
I guess, nominated me to be in this position to to speak on their behalf. And I'm honored to do so and just, you know, look forward to to, to being a beacon of light in any way I can for, for the ones who need it the most. Yeah, that's so great because I the reason we started this podcast was to give guys like Vince and other athletes, celebrities, a platform to kind of humanize themselves. You know, I think it's really great that you're doing this not only to give back, but I think it shows the side of you guys that we don't get to see, you know, through music videos or basketball games or whatever the case may be. So that's my favorite thing about this podcast is it really just humanizes the people that we have on the show. So yeah, I'm going to add to that tip, you know, and maybe you agree with me on this. This is an opportunity for us to spit game how we want to deliver it every time we're on. You know, it ain't going to be edited. It ain't no he said, oh, I think he would say it like this. No, they can tune into what I say, what you say, every time you release something and you you spit knowledge, kick game to these young, the young people, young listeners, every time how you want it to be resignated. Absolutely. I think that's very important. I think it's very important that, 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 that we use our voice to speak on behalf of the people, to speak to pe- to the people uh, in, a, in a language that they understand. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you can't teach anyone anything if they don't understand what you're saying. Education comes in many different forms. You know, you don't have to go into a school to be formally educated on anything. Uh, all you have to do is be willing to sit down, learn, from listening, understanding, and commit yourself to some form of change. So podcasting aside, you do a ton of other things and people in your shoes who have been doing this for so long and, you know, garnered multiple Grammys and and all those awards would maybe just, you know, retire and hang out with your family, but you continue to go on. So what really ignites that fire in you to continue and to stay creative? I say visions and opportunities, you know what I mean? Uh, Just speaking specifically to the podcast, just like I told you, I, this wasn't in like, you know, a career plan for me. Uh, it was an opportunity. Someone saw some value in, in, in things that I did organically on, on social media and introduced an opportunity to me. After kind of considering the opportunity, I was like, well, I feel like, you know, to have some of the discussions that I know that we need to have as a culture and as a generation, I feel like, you know, perhaps podcasting could could be a better platform than, you know, captions and comments on social media. And, you know, so at that point, you know, it's about moving at the speed of the opportunity. Uh, and, and in other cases, say like the Trap Music Museum, that was a vision. I can't wait to go there, by the way. Man, right on. Anytime, man. Pull up anytime. It's you so cool. You. I've been and I did the escape room, too. I did not escape the room. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I did not escape. But how do you keep that creativity, like to come up with something, you know, like the Trap Music Museum and the really different kind of escape room that you guys have? Man, to be honest with you, man, it was just all inspired by the culture of trap music, man. It was just all, all based upon and around the culture of trap music. The, the most significant contributors to the culture are being celebrated. We're showing people the tenacity that it took for people like me, Jeezy, 2 Chains, Future Thug, Rocco, Rick Ross, you know what I'm saying? For all of us to kind of come from where we came from and against all odds, despite any kinds of efforts that were working against us, you know, we took lemons and made lemonade. 
You know what I'm saying? We took a horrendous environment with a treacherous outcome and we, we, we packaged it into philosophical presentation, set the music and turned that into a commodity, turned that into an industry, turned that into a stream, a, a legitimate stream of revenue. And I mean, we took something that was meant to destroy us and used it to build us up and used it as an example to others in the same situation that you can also use this to build you up. It doesn't have to end here. You don't have to give up right here in the place that you're standing. Your efforts, energy, and attention can move you through this to a better place. And I think trap music is definitely a result of that, definitely an example of that. And the Trap Music Museum is a celebration of that. And you spoke about influences. Who were some of those influencers for you, you know, during your rise to fame before you got big? Who were the people you looked up to or maybe who helped you get to where you're at today? Before I got on, I mean, definitely NWA, Ice Cube, Tupac, Outkast, Master P, Scarface, Jay Prince, Snoop Dogg, UGK, Jay-Z, Russell Simmons, LL Cool J. So many, man. Puff. There's so many different examples that I had of, of, you know, what could be done, what was possible if I executed, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and did things in a way that could put me in position. I knew, you know, th- these are the people that I looked uh, uh, watched and, and took note of that, that made me believe, let me know from sight that this is I want to... Um kind of dive deep into that. So when you come, when you, you came in the game many, many, many years ago, what was it like? I mean, can you explain, you know, to, to our listeners and, you know, what did it take for you to, to get on back then as opposed to what it's like now? Mm. You see what I'm saying? So when you were trying to get on, like you had to, what, what did you have to go through to get on? Like you didn't have social media to just push music until some it catch. I mean, for me, man. Okay, so let's say right now, right now we live in what you call the direct to consumer industry. Like this is right now, this is a direct to consumer industry. You don't need any distributor. You don't need any. You don't have to meet anyone to say that you're good enough in order for you to reach the fans and the public. Back then, I had to, you know, fish around, man, find my way from Bankhead up here to the studio and bounce around and introduce myself, you know, learn, you know, how to how to network, create a demo and, and pass it around, let people hear me, you know what I'm saying? And then wait on someone to say, oh, yeah, he's good enough. Let's take him to the next level, introduce him to the next player who could take him even further. And then I had to show that I was good enough to this person and then they opened the door. Right now, you don't have to show you good enough to anybody. It's what the people say. You know what I mean? You can put a video up today yourself. You know what I mean? Upload it yourself on YouTube, upload it yourself on Worldstar. If a million people watch that video and a million people say that that's good, then you're in, regardless of what anybody else has to say. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest difference between then and now. Very similar to you, Vince. And, you know, when you were coming up, you didn't have social media for people to see half man, half amazing dunks. People just saw it on TV when they could. And now I'm curious to know what it would be like if you guys, both of you started in this era of social media, you know, kind of where you would be at today. 
Well, see, this is the thing, right? Now, this is the thing. You just made a phenomenal point, right? You see, basketball is an association. It's an organization, right? It's one organization that has their own rules and, you know, they dictate and determine what happens within this organization. Music, however, is more like an amoeba of talent. You dig what I'm saying? With no real structure or no real form or no real shape, it moves and morphs according to the culture. Imagine if, right, somebody woke up today and no matter how good they were, let's just say they was the star of the Rutgers game in New York. So now they're going straight to Madison Square Garden. Hey, y'all, I'm ready. The people say I'm ready. So put me in. You see what I'm saying? See. That's the way music is right now. Imagine if someone, before they came to your game, Vince, they hit a three at a park, and now everybody went crazy in their neighborhood. So now they coming and bringing them, and they get to walk on the floor, wear the uniform, and sit right next to you after all the work that you've done, and they get in the game and get to play just like that. I think that is the comparison of music then versus music now. Basketball will never be like that. You know what I'm saying? Basketball will never be like that. No sports, uh, no sports agency will ever be like that. Or no sports organization or federation, I guess you would call it, will ever be like that. Because there will always be gatekeepers. There will always be gatekeepers. And sometimes that works for, for the best for the people. And sometimes it works against the people. The competition is always there for you in music. Like you said, someone can just blow up, but in basketball, you have to work hard and you have to probably go to school and you have to get drafted and get an agent. So that's really interesting. And I can imagine about the artists, the OG artists, what they think, you know, about that on a on a regular basis, because some of those guys who come in, you know, you just be like, eh, all right, it's catchy. But and then you have a couple of you be like, all right, you know, he's a. You know, he got talent. He got a whatever. It, and it, I think, there again, you would agree that it just depends on what you want to listen to, what you're looking for. Are you looking for somebody who who just going, you know, is catchy and just catch your ear for a minute? Or are you going? Are you looking for a lyricist? You know, it just depends. Like back in the day, you had to have some lyrics. You had to be a lyricist to get in. It was some bullshit rappers back then too, man. It was- no, for sure, for sure. No, you're right. How can I say this? Everything just isn't for everybody. Right. You know what I mean? And I don't put myself in, in, in the, the place or position of being some expert with perfect opinions. You know what I'm saying? Some shit I like. And it's only because it's because it speaks to me. Right. Other things I don't like because it, it ain't for me. But just because I don't like it don't mean that I don't recognize that there's a market for it. You see what I'm saying? And in business, man, it's about supply and demand. If there is a demand out there, then, you know, it'll be fair business practice to supply it. But I think that, you know, hip-hop has grown so big and become so expansive that it's something for everybody, no matter what kind of person you are. You could be a, a college grad who has an internship sitting in a cubicle at a marketing firm. There's a hip hop artist for you. There's someone right now making music that that speaks to your uh, situation. And it wasn't necessarily always like that. It was hip hop for the certain people who was within immersed within the culture. But now 
it don't matter what walk of life you come from, man. You could be a rancher. You dig what I'm saying? As long as you can speak to the people. There's a cowboy rapper out there that's talking about rodeos and lassoing calves. You dig what I'm saying? There's something for everyone now. Uh, so far be it for me to say just because it ain't for me that it ain't for nobody. Speaking of that grind and your grind, you know, when you were coming up, early days of Grand Hustle, what were the things that you really had to grind for maybe that people don't have to do today or that they do? Visibility. To be heard. Like I said, right now, man, all you got to do is put your song up on on YouTube, on Worldstar, and people going to hear it. Period. All you got to do is put your song up on Instagram, on SoundCloud. People will hear it. Back when I was coming up, I went to the studio and wasn't nobody listened to it but me and my homeboys, unless <laughs> I get it to a DJ and he says, this is good enough, I'll play it. Or, you know what I mean, I get it to an executive at a record label and they say, this is good enough. I give you a deal, we'll put your album out. Now, man, it's, you know, it's like Renegade, you know what I mean? Everybody get a shot. You get a shot. You get a shot. You get a shot. Which is, I mean, I think it's the best of times and the worst of times. I'm not speaking against it because I think that it has produced some phenomenal stars and some amazing talent that we might not have even recognized that had an opportunity to be introduced to had it not been for that. And that's the beautiful thing about social media. You know, it's the good and the bad, but the good is everybody can, can find their lane because there's so many people right. that's watching. And you just, they, you know, an up and coming artist just need not even an endorsement, but a retweet, a like from an artist who has a huge following and the rest is history. That makes sense. Do you have any stories of when you were coming up and you were trying to get your music out there when you were like rejected or when they told you like, this is not good. We're not going to play this or any kind of stories like that. And I want to add to that before you answer that now. And when that happened, did you feel like maybe my music not good enough yet to go with that? You know, when you sometimes when you get rejected, you just feel like "Eh." I'm going to be honest with you, bro. I don't know if it's just my arrogance or (laughs) confidence, you know, if I'm just delusional that way but every time somebody rejected me and my music I always felt like it was something wrong with him you know what I'm saying I always felt like man you dumb here you don't know what you listen to but give me my shit you know what I'm saying I always felt that way and it always just drove me to go harder but to remember a specific story I feel like every time I dropped the album it was always bet against you know what I mean? I remember people telling me that nobody would ever play Dope Boys. And for a long time, they were right. Because Greg Street was the only person who would play Dope Boys in the trap on the radio. That is the one song from my first album that kind of caught people's attention and, and set, set a, a stage for me to have an identity for myself. And then let me see the next album, which was Trap Music. They were, Everybody was like, well, he's not going to be around long. He won't be around long. And from there, I think I went, I went, I got in trouble and went away for a while. And then, you know, everybody was like, yeah, well, that's it for him. And then I came back. And at that point, they were saying, uh, you don't know me. This is it's an I song, but it ain't no, it ain't no hit. And it, it was nominated for a Grammy. Then Bring Them Out was like, oh, shit. So that's when everybody was like, oh, damn. Now we have to really take them seriously. 
But then the next album, our first single was um, What You Know About That. I still remember sitting in the office at Atlantic Records and people telling our radio staff that this wasn't the record. What you know about that? This ain't the record. This ain't, this don't sound like, because, you know, at the time, you know, you had Lil John, the East Side Boys, Yin Yang Twin. You had, like, even, like, Ludacris and, you know, so many other sounds from Atlanta that didn't necessarily sound like this. It wasn't what they were used to. And so anytime you give somebody something that they're not used to that isn't, you know, compatible with what they're used to hearing with what they heard five minutes ago, what they'll be hearing five minutes from now, they're going to reject it. So I was rejected for the majority of my career time and time and time again. I always felt like I was in a position where I had to prove myself. That's what gave me this enormous chip on my shoulder. And that's why he told him he was the king of the South. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, because fuck it. You ain't going to like it anyway. Whatever right, I so say, I might as well go ahead and, like yeah, it. right. You mentioned a, f- a few artists that you looked up to when you were coming up, but was there anyone that kind of took you under their wing, you know, as you were rising to your stardom? Man, Puff, Jay, Nelly, uh, Leo Cohen. But it's safe to say you you had more than just one person. You had outlets. So you had different people sure. who were doing sure. major things sure. that you can always bounce stuff to that you sure. knew sure. they were going to give you game, which was going to keep you in the right direction, which you were trying to, where you were trying to go. Right on. I always knew that I, 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 could, I, could, I could tap into advice, guidance, insight, depending on what my circumstances were, depending on what kind of advice I needed, I knew that I, my Rolodex had grown to where I could call these different moguls and experts and legends that I had my own personal relationships with. And and they would lead, guide, or direct me the best way that they knew how. And I was, you know, I, I'm, I'm humble and thankful for that. You know what I'm saying? That kind of... Uh, allowed me to, I guess, move with guided steps. Even though I fucked up a whole lot of, you know what I mean? I fucked up a lot of those steps, you know what I'm saying? I went against a lot of that advice at times, but it was always there, you know what I'm saying? And I think that helped me become the, 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 the artist that I am today. And to give those guys kudos, and they continue to be there even once you bounce back. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even Will Smith, man. Will Smith, like he he was the uh, the producer for ATL. So he had, the, it was Will Smith and Dallas Austin. Uh, they were producers on the film ATL. Will Smith told, uh, I believe it's Warner Brothers, that he wouldn't produce the film if they didn't hire me as the star. And I'm a first time actor, you know what I mean? I don't I don't have no acting credits. All Will said was, listen, he is Atlanta right now. So if he's not in the movie, I don't want to make it. It was shit like that that, that the, the OGs at the time did for me that, you know, I'm just I just can't thank them enough for even like Jay, like Jay-Z. When Jay and and, and R. Kelly had the best of both worlds tour, Madison Square Garden. I think it was supposed to be like four shows or something like that. The, the, the night that I came, I think, was the second show. 
And this night, something was going wrong. You know what I mean? Some shit was some shit was going bad uh, between uh, between Jay and R. And now, mind you, I don't really know nobody like that for real. So I'm just sitting back in the cut, just observing everything. And you know, just being from the hood, I can kind of, I can sense that you know, it's tension here. So finally, R. Kelly storms off the stage. You know what I mean? And Jay, not expecting this, like, what? What's up with that? He's like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. He goes back on stage and says, now, he can't come back on stage. I'm going to take, now, this is my show now. Now, this is my show. So, cut to about 10, 15 minutes later, R. Kelly trying to get back on stage. <laughs> and Jay felt like, bro, y'all ain't getting back up here on this stage, period. And I'm standing on stage looking down. I'm like, damn, it's me, Puff, uh, my homeboys, you know what I'm saying, my family and shit. So we standing right there like in the friends and family section watching the show on the side of the stage. At the same time, we're observing that, you know, there's an altercation ensuing. Long story short, man, they never got back on stage. Uh, (laughs) The guys, man, went to great lengths, opposite. (laughs) <laughs> measures to keep them from getting on stage and at that point Jay was like I'm not doing no more show with him so it became the Jay-Z and Friends tour from that moment forward and Jay said after that show yeah he said man shit I need you to come back and do you know what I mean and, and, and perform you know well actually that night that night since R wasn't on stage he was like shit he wanted the people who were there to get out there and rip. So at the spur of the moment, they say, shit, you ready to do your shit? Hell yeah. So I get out there, do my thing. And um, after that, they said, well, we need you to come back tomorrow. Well, we need you to come back again. Well, we need you to come to Philly. But well, we need you to, like, shit, hell yeah. So so a look like that, Jay didn't have to, you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't no benefit, no truth, no real benefit in it for him to reach back to me and say, hey, man, come fuck with us, man, on the rest of the tour. Because, you know, obviously we got time and space. So, you know what I'm saying? And that was an opportunity, man, that I just, you know, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't thank them enough for. But shit, like, shit like that has happened to me throughout my career, man. Right place, right time. I don't know if it was the right place, right time, or I think people just kind of saw something. You know, they saw people have seen something in me, invested or, that, or like just, just pushed that. Puff pulled up on me at, at a car wash one time. The first time I met Puff, I'm in Atlanta on Peach Street at a car wash. Get my get my car wash. I had a money collar. I'm getting a, I'm getting my car wash, and I'm sitting on like outside the car wash, facing the street. Puff pulls up at a stoplight at a stoplight right in front of the car wash. Looks to the side, sees me. He had the windows rolled up, even though it was a convertible. Rolled the window down. In a in a convertible Ferrari, and say, "Hey, ain't you that Ti?" I say, "Yeah, what's up?" He said, "Man, come here." I get up and I go over there and holler, "Pull, we shake hands." Like, man, I did what you doing, bro? I got a party tonight, man. Come fuck with me, man. You know what I'm saying? And you know, and so that was the beginning. So that it was that that conversation led to when Puff came. And and he was in the video for Rubber Band Man, me and him in front of the in front of the road. Right, I couldn't have paid for that look. 
I didn't, you know what I'm saying? It was just the people who I looked up to some kind of way saw something in me and, and extended a hand out, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I can't, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm eternally humble and appreciative for that. I got a question. Is Will we see ATL too? You know what? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. We will see one. Everybody down to do it. I think that, you know what I'm saying, Lauren's been through a lot. Lauren's been through a lot. And, you know, whenever whenever she ready to go, we're going to be ready to go. And that, no matter how long that takes or no matter how soon that is. My real question and this is from a fan standpoint. Do you, as an uh, artist, I mean, I know you put out, you've put out so many, so much content, so much music, so many albums. Do you have a favorite song, and do you have a favorite album? Ooh, is that possible? Uh, and, and that's what I'm saying. I know it's a lot. Maybe, maybe you don't. I mean, it's 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 a tough one uh, because each of these albums they represent a different period of my life. Like you know. Uh, Everything that I'm addressing or discussing in each album are things that are unique to that time period for me as a man in my life. My very first album, I'm serious. I was 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, so at that time it was more so me formulating how to exit an environment that I was all too familiar with and enter into an environment that was foreign and strange to me. And, you know, the things that I refused to abandon and the things that I knew that I had to adopt in order to, to, to continue to flourish. Uh, so that's what that, a lot of that album is about. Trap music is, you know, okay, now that I'm here in this unfamiliar territory, I must establish the principles and the standards that I've set for myself coming from where I come from. And these are the stories that came from this, these environments or my time spending these, in these environments. And I mean, urban legend. I mean, I'm 23 years old at the time, 24 years old. So I'm supposed to have it figured out, but nobody at 23 years old has it figured out. I may have been advanced for my age in some ways, but I'm still like a young man formulating my thoughts, philosophies, concepts, and my belief system. And, you know, every album has a different purpose to serve. Is there any artist that you are still hoping or wanting to work with that you have not worked with and or an artist that you want to work with again that you've maybe only worked with once? Outcast. I've done a record with Dre. I've been on records with Big. I would like to have an outcast record. Um, just as an outcast fan. Um, I mean Goody Mob as well. See, and he's speaking my language now. <laughs> I mean, you know, like this is, you know, these are these are all the people who I grew up listening to. Uh oh, another one, Stevie Wonder. I want to do a record with Stevie Wonder. I'm looking for the appropriate opportunity to, to do a record with the great Stevie Wonder. I know you've touched so many genres and, you know, you just named people from different genres. Is there any genre you wouldn't want to get into if someone wanted to do a collab with you? Like anything that's not in your musical realm? I'm, I'm kind of, a, you know, two types of people in the world. There's a person that looks at something and says, oh, no, I'll never be able to do that. And a person that looks at something and says, 
hmm, let's see, how could I do that? So I'm more of the second person, you know what I'm saying? I try and look at things and be like, how could we make this work? I don't know how many genres of music I would just be emphatically against. Michael jo- I, heard, I heard Michael Jordan say one time, champions find a way. So I try to abide by that policy as much as possible. That's a great segue because I did want to ask if you've been watching The Last Dance. Man, hell yeah. Best shit on TV. They got to win an Emmy for that shit. Man. That shit is phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. I don't know whose idea it was to let those cameras shadow that team for that year, but they deserve a Nobel Peace Prize for that. That, that, that is just phenomenal work. And it's insight into a team, into a dynasty, and inside the work ethic of a group of men that everybody who weren't alive at that time had forgotten. I, I talked to my sons, my little cousins, my young homeboy, and I'm talking to them about Michael Jordan, and they're like, man, he couldn't have been that good. He ain't no better than Kobe. He ain't no better than LeBron. Listen, stop that. There was never, ever enough footage to kind of show without any kind of interruption or any kind of uh, a debate. Why? And this answers the call for a whole generation. This particular show and series answers these questions for an entire generation. Everybody who wonders why the people who were alive during that time says that this is the greatest man that ever touched a basketball. And I just think it's, I think it's phenomenal television. And they're only, what, four episodes in? Like, you got yeah. six more episodes of, of this. Like, that's <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Eight. I thought it was ten. Yeah, it was ten. Like, this, yeah, they got six more. Okay, all right. Okay. Six more. So that's what I'm saying. So like after four episodes, you know, there's a lot of people who are saying that exact thing and you get six more of this, man. Yeah, they deserve yeah, something. Man. I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering where do, where do they go from here? You know what I'm saying? I feel like in four episodes, I damn near got, you know. Everything. You're right. You're right. What else is there to see? They got more. And I think the timing is impeccable because this would have been playoffs right now. Playoffs would have been starting, which it's not to say, obviously people still would have watched it, but this is like, it's amazing. This is, that's all we want to watch right now. But this thing about this, from what I remember, this wasn't supposed to come out till like after that. It's supposed to come out after the playoffs originally. Okay. Because of the, 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 you know, what's going on and everybody at home, what better time than to learn of the history of Michael Jordan then right now when everybody's at home, you, and you're you thirsting for sports content. Right. We need I mean, it. Yeah, That's the genius. It. You said it. Yeah, you said it, man. I, I, they, they, they got to win whatever award is available for this type of television. And everybody involved should win something. Yeah, absolutely. Except Jerry Krause now. Oh, you right, right, right. Jake, now, you, you're right. We talked about this I yesterday. what the fuck <laughs> bro was on, Yeah, man. you're right. We talked about this Bro, yesterday. Tricky. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, that's the one thing like we talked about yesterday is that if the bro uh the boat ain't broke, don't don't try to fix it. There ain't nothing to fix. You know what I'm saying? And then you when it ta- when it tails off, like what I said. Holler at me when we lose. Exactly. When we lose, you had your way. We coming off a championship season and you talking about breaking people up. And returning pretty much the same group. I don't understand that, bro. I just don't. And then how he did Scotty, that was hard. That shit was some bullshit. How he did Scotty was some real bullshit, bro. 
You know, they, they say not to judge a book by its cover. But I'm going to step out <laughs> on the limb here. <laughs> I'm going to step out on the limb here and say, I think I, I think, I don't think that his decisions came from him being a bad GM. I think he was a better GM than he was a person. You know what I'm saying? I think to just inside, man, like he had confidence, ego issues. He was always trying to be noticed and just always. He wanted all of the credit for the success. Oh, yeah. I, I don't understand it, bro. You, do you know what the background is? You are behind the scenes. Behind the scene. That means you ain't told to be seen. People should he's not good. know the work he, you're doing. Right. And, and he eventually he'll get his just due. Executive of the year. Ring. Ring. You get all and Yeah, man. And then the players are go, the, the management is gonna recognize you then for for your work, for putting this group together. Absolutely. Vince, not to try to start anything, but have you had any experiences with management or owners like this, which maybe you don't want to talk about right now? <laughs> well, no, you can talk about it now, man, because you retired, man. You retired. Now you can you can, you can talk about it. Now. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's it's you know when you see a product that you know as as a player you feel like is worth fighting for, and and you like, oh, we have a cohesive group. Our group is going to be pretty good, but the management like, I don't think so. We want to go in a different direction. We think this guy should be our focal point, blah, blah, blah. It happened. So, you know, watching that, I was like, mm, mm, mm. Know what that's like. But at <laughs> the same time. And if Jordan and those, if Jordan and that team could not find themselves in uh, 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 exemption of the wrath of the executive staff, no one can. I mean, you know it's bad when MJ say, look, Phil Jackson not coaching, I'm not playing. Who says no to Michael Jordan? Who's going to make Michael Jordan play for a coach that he doesn't want to? And a coach that he's winning with. I just think that that mentality altogether, dare I say, it's a loser's mentality. So is he still the GM of the Bulls or has he retired? <laughs> no, he's done. He's done. He's done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's done. Vince, give us the tea. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) How about this, right? How about this? Tell me which team you were. No, no, no. Listen, listen. No, no. You got to listen to the question. You got to listen to the question. You're right. You're right. I'm jumping the gun. Tell me the team you were most disappointed to leave when you found that you were getting traded. Like, which team you were like, damn, I. Damn, I liked it here, bro. Why the fuck? Like, you know what I mean? Which team did you want to go back and say, man, y'all sure y'all trying? You sure? It's a couple of them. It's a couple of them. You know, and I'll start start from the obvious, which is I'm sure going to surprise, but leaving Toronto after six years was a (laughs) shock, right? Was shocking. And uh, and it was kind of like, you know, it was a new opportunity. So within the time of leaving there, I was injured, so what before I could get back on the court, I was just like, bruh, I'm in Jersey now, bro. Like, you know, what is this? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then obviously get out there and play with J Kid. You know, you right. tend to be like, okay, cool. This is not too bad. All right. And then it was all good. And then and then I'ma tell you, leaving Orlando. Mm. Uh, you know, I live that's where I was living, you know, already right. prior to playing for the for the magic. We we just missed the opportunity to make the finals. We lost to Celtics in six. They go on to play the Lakers in the finals. The next year we play 
And in December, I got traded. So Ooh. it was just like, you know, I was home. I left a good team that we were like fourth or fifth in the in the NBA with our record record wise. So it was like everything's good. I'm home. Right. You know, right. all of the above. So that's the two for sure. I mean, there's a couple of them. Like, I tell you what, when you work in, especially like I, I was in Dallas for three years. So once you're in a, a spot for a couple of years, you get used to, you know, the atmosphere. Right. You get used to how everything, how, how it works. You know what I'm saying? That's work. All right. Next year. Okay. I'm going right back. So then when I don't return there, you know, like, man, bro, like, you know, I could understand if it was like, I was like, man, I just don't want to go back. Right. But it was a situation where it was like this, you know, they just wanted to move on to something else. I was like, bro, okay. That must be tough, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because you got to think, man, like in, in the business, like when, if if I'm, you know, we, I, in the off season, I live in Florida. So when that situation not working out, you got to take, uproot your family. Right. It ain't just you going. It's we got right. to go and everything with you. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's the tough part about it. Just imagine like you you sign a deal with somebody in L.A. and they're like, ah, it ain't working. Everybody got to go back to, back to, to the ATL. You know what I'm saying? So it was, that's, that's the tough thing about it. And when I got traded from Orlando to Phoenix, it was during Christmas time, December 17th. So how in the fuck does that work? It, it it is what it is. So I you get they got traded. You get two I, I what you get two days to report to your new team, and that was it. And we were on a stretch run when my family, all of my family in town. So we playing from that like the the fifteenth to the twenty sixth. We gonna be home. So we home like that whole stretch. I got traded. So not only well you know all my family living in the south, we got traded, and now I'm going out west to Phoenix, and it was just one of them things. Like man, I got the you know, my daughter young, so I got to explain it like, Dad, uh, when you coming back? Because I don't want her to leave her school and come out there. Damn. When you gonna come come back home? How you explain that to a, to a young girl? Like, that's terrible. Yeah, but that's, it's part of the business. That's just how right, it goes, right. and that's the things that we, you know, people, fans, and people don't think about. Like, some kind of way, Jerry Krause was behind that shit too. <laughs> yeah, he started. <laughs> he started. He <laughs> started. What you got, Andy? What you got? Vince, I don't know if you've had this before, but I think Tip is like bringing out, you have like a Southern draw right now. Like you sound, you have like a Southern accent. Hey you, man, that's I've that, never hey heard man, it that's before. That soul food. That's a lot of soul food. <laughs> you might be right. I, I don't know. I hear it. I love it. Welcome to the league. Um, okay, well, we are running out of time, so I'm going to hit our final segment, which is called Welcome to the League, when our guest tells us when they really knew that they made it, whether it was an embarrassing moment on stage, because we love those moments, but also when you realize, like, wow, I'm really here on stage with whoever it is. Man, probably one of the most memorable moments I had on stage, the Grammy performance where we did Swagger Like Us, me, Jay, Wayne, and Gay probably one of the greatest moments of my career you know it was it felt like a sense of completion you know what I mean like from a kid going in and out of studios passing my demos around taking meetings getting rejected and from there all the way up to having the song of the year according to the Grammys the album of the year according to me uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, it was just such a, it, it, it was so redemptive and it was just, a, it was a pivotal moment for me, uh, you know, incredible moment. 
beyond compare. Like yeah. everybody who he just named, including yourself, will be Hall of Fame. <laughs> you dig what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's just like that's take what you up. know what. Right from one future Hall of Famer to another. <laughs> My pleasure. You did. <laughs> So I just right, got well, one more thing, and I'm, I'm good after this. I know. I, I just I've been wanting to ask this. So I know, you know, your your wife is a musician, and and an artist. Excuse me. And I know um, your kids are are in the business as well. Have you guys ever talked about doing a family album? We've been asked several times, and the answer is always hell no. I figured. <laughs> That's always hell no. I'm not, you know, I would love, I would support them if they, if they, I'm, I would play the background. I would be the, I would be the, I would manage the group. You see what I'm saying? You wouldn't deliver a 16 or two for a song I, or two? I, I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I don't, I'm no But Partridge as of today. Fan. I ain't no damn Partridge family. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's ain't, it ain't just me like, they feel like this. They feel that way too. They, you know, the last thing they want is me standing in a spotlight. I mean, like, we all just have our individual strengths and, and, and talents. And, you know, we just kind of want to display those individually first, at least. We'll collaborate. Like, me and my son do music. I do music with my daughter. My son and my daughter do music together. So pockets of us work together. Me and my son probably work together. My my wife and and my daughter, you know, they work together. So we just I kind of cultivate the 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 talent of the young men, and she's been shaping and molding Zanique since you know what I'm saying a preteen. It's still hey, at some point it'll be great because like you said, you said you all have your own individual, <laughs> you all have your individual talents, and then you know everybody bring their talent to the table, their own song. I don't even know what kind of music that would be. You know what I'm saying? I don't even well, know what I'm kind saying, of music. Everybody's so different. Everybody that's what I'm saying. So that's, that's the beauty of it. I'm just saying. I, I know I, y'all done said, hell I, I no. I, you know what? Yeah. I know, but I'm just saying, like, everybody kind of bring, okay, this is what I'm bringing to the table. Anybody want to in on this? No? No? Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> I'm just thinking. That's all. My man. <laughs> that's what's up, man. I, I take appreciate that into consideration. <laughs> I'll take that into consideration as a great answer. That means yeah, that not means happening. hell no. I know what it means. <laughs> well, thank you so 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 much. Thank this you. was awesome. Absolute pleasure. Appreciate you, you guys. You've been on our bucket list for many years, so I'm so glad we got to have you. Thank you for taking time for us. I know you got a lot My going pleasure. on. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm.